the title for today's talk is Re Reaching Out by Way of the Inner. You know, reaching out by way of inside us. And uh, let me start with a couple of quotes. One is from a, a poet called Kabir. And he says, Don't go outside your house to see the flowers, my friend. Don't bother with that excursion. Inside your body there are flowers. One flower has a thousand petals. That will do for a place to sit. Sitting there you'll have a glimpse of beauty. Inside the body and out of it. Before gardens and after For me, it, it touches um, a very sensitive place. Of course, poets say these things with kind of special words, but uh, it's the essence that matters. And the other quote is uh, from the Buddha himself. I, I like to use the Buddha as a reference because uh, it just connects us with the basic quality of the teachings, you know. The fundamental. It's from what's called the scriptures in the, the Buddhist scriptures. I'll start paraphrasing a bit. It's about a deva. Deva is like a divinity. A deva is called Rohitasha. The deva of Rohitasha tells the Buddha that although he could run very fast Wishing to travel to the end of the world, he spent a hundred years trying to do so. And, quote, he says, Apart from the time spent on eating, drinking, chewing and tasting, urinating and defecating, and sleeping to fight off weariness, that's, you know, the hundred years apart from all that time. Yet, he says, he never reached the end of the earth and died along the way. Um, you know, devas can have died and are reborn. It's just a, a mythical character. The Buddha responded, and this is the key of the quote, I tell you, friend, that it isn't possible by traveling to know or see or reach the far end of the world. But at the same time, I tell you, there is no making an end of suffering and stress without reaching the end of the world. Yet, it is within this Fathom long body. You know, fathom is, is this kind of measurement. So each one of our bodies is, can be described as fathom long kind of thing. It's, yet it is just within this fathom long body, with its perceptions and intellect, 
that is the body-mind, that I declare that there is the earth, the origination of the earth, the cessation of the earth, and the path of practice leading to the cessation of the earth. In other words, you say it in difficult word, but it means all that the world is, is right here. We are one with the world. And he's also saying that, you see, right here is a, a perception machinery. We see the world through this, inside us, through this body. So, you, you might as well understand the device that conceives things, rather than going out there to see what you conceive. Because so much of what we see is generated by the way we conceive things. Then, therefore, if you come to this fathom-long body, if you come to that place of rest that you discover through the practice, then you'll be able to put illusion aside and come to see things as they really are. That's a message. Let me try to put it another way. There are two ways of looking at the world. One is a habitual one, and which is filtering everything that we see through the, through the eye, through the self, through my ego. And the other is the way in which the constructions of the eye are put aside and we feel things directly by way of the inner. The inner sense that we can have, you know. See, we can have an inner sense about another person. It has nothing to do with the beauty, external beauty of the other person, but we connect. Clicks. So, throughout this talk I'm going to spend time exploring how contrasting these two different ways of connecting with the world. These two different attitudes. And I look at, uh, at these two attitudes at three different levels. The levels of the ecosystem, a relationship with the ecosystem, with environment, a relationship with humanity, and a relationship with the dear ones. They are close to us and I have the privilege to have them so close right now. For those of you who are not here and are going to listen to this recording, my daughter Nora and her whole family are here. So let me start with the ecosystem. How do we deal with the ecosystem by way of the eye? Well, we, we know it. This, unfortunately, we know it. Increasingly, and particularly during the last hundred years, we have been ravaging the earth, destroying its forest, jeopardizing its biodiversity, contaminating what's left 
of that diversity wrecking the atmosphere. Just last December I went to Argentina to visit uh, our son, Pedro, and spent some time with him and his family at a summer resort. It's summer in December there. And the topic of conversation was all over, understandably. The hole in the ozone layer. This Argentina being very close to Antarctica, the radiations of the sun are really lethal nowadays, in a way that was not so when I was young and lived there. So, why do we do that? Why do we treat the Earth so badly? The idea is that so that we can, we, or perhaps just a few of us, can reap even more benefits, can amass even more wealth, plundering what we haven't plundered yet. Like, for instance, in a, in a very recent chapter, opening the Arctic preserve to oil drilling. Presumably so that we can all comfortably run SUVs around, you know. Then accompanying this is a whole propaganda machine which uh, ropes, it, ropes us into this activity. Because it keeps pointing out or um, have us ask have us ask, what isn't this thing for us? And tries to persuade it that this is the only way to go. That the economy needs to keep growing, which of course it's understandable to some level. But at what cost? In fact, what what really benefits very directly from the growth of the economy is the eye. This sense of increasing powerfulness that we acquire, you know. And the hope, the possibility that perhaps each one of us in this room can become a little clone of Donald Trump. <laughs> That's the carrot. You may, you may get, reap good benefits from this. Let's have more jobs, more economy, no matter at what cost, and you'll reap benefits. But then there is also the stick, you know, the policy of stick and the carrot. This the carrot, something I promised, the stick, a punishment. And the, the, the stick is that uh, scarci scarcity is really there looming. So we better hurry because uh, who knows, we may run out of oil and so let's get the most 
before it runs out and so on. And of course the fear of scarcity creates more scarcity because we start consuming faster. Everyday experience. So what's the alternative to deal with environment? How to deal with environment by way of the inner? How do we assess the situation when when the eye is asleep or not running the show or distracted? The basic for this, the basis for discovering what's proper to do is to connect. Connect the uncontrived, unspoiled part of us with the the uncontrived, unspoiled part of the environment. And and discover that kinship. After all, we're not different from the environment. The eye has nothing to do with this connection. And if we if we see it, if we catch it, we can easily ferret it out if we have found our ground our in a place of residence. Christopher, my teacher, is uh, fond of uh, spelling environmental with a dash. Enviro-mental. To remind us that the, our mind is part of the environment as well. It's un- inseparable from it. In fact, the environment is an attitude of mind. We're embedded in the, our outer environment and we are embedded in our inner environment. Inner and outer resonate together. Those of you who've been sitting here watching your breath, I mean, that's a direct experience of a connection with the environment. The breath is in and the breath is out. The sounds, are they in or are they out? They're both. So is the silence. So are smells, smells and tastes. Everything that we experience. It's really difficult to separate between inner and out. With, between environment and mental, mentality. Just uh, one more example of how um, the external and the internal can combine. Um, and uh, I think that's an excellent example, which is in the work of Raquel. As some of you may know, Raquel makes sculptures. But in fact, she does them in collaboration with the uh, River, the Hudson, right there. Her sculptures are in the river, and when the river rises with the tide, the sculpture disappears. When it descends, the sculpture reappears. So the river is as much an actor in this performance 
That's Raquel. And, yeah, she fully understands it that way, isn't it? That's uh, her intention, really. And likewise with uh, some work that's more difficult to describe, it has to do with the mud of the river, and there again, Raquel sees her work as a collaboration between the environmental mud and its history and herself. No separation. So, that's the way I would uh, invite you to deal with the environment by way of the inner, not by way of the eye. And how about our dealings with the rest of humanity? Well, the same problems are very evident right there. Let me again contrast the way of the eye with the way of the inner. When we, we deal with the rest of humanity by way of the eye, there seems to be no no limit to the callousness and the virulence that we are capable of, of. From being a bully in school to the bullying nations in the international scene. And I, I can only talk about the way I see things. doesn't mean that it's a the final only true way, but that's the way I see things. I see today our nation nation ready to pursue its so-called national interest preemptively, preemptively, regardless of the consequences. So in order to increase its sway and supremacy, that it already has of the rest of the world. And of course, this is supported by a vast and elaborate propaganda machine that tries to persuade us that the more we attack, the safer we will be. And it becomes an endless game of us versus them which caters, caters for the fears and insecurities of the eye. And the eye is easily persuaded to go along. As we bristle with fear, the eye bristles up as well. Of course, I, I must say and certainly acknowledge that uh, not everybody needs to see things this way, and I fully respect any disagreement with this picture. That's, I can only present the reality as I see it to the best of my understanding. And of course, uh, has something to do with the sources of information that I cultivate. 
Now, of course, not all the, the media are in this mode, and a news, very well-known newspaper that is not uh, uh, bought for by this campaign is the New York Times. I want to talk a little about the New York Times because it presents a, a curious alternative, offers us a curious alternative in it. Um, in the implicit sense of its uh, message, one which still caters to the eye in a very special way. What it offers to the eye to the, lit the, the nightmarish litany of news is a hideout of indifference. I was startled by an advertising campaign of the New York Times quite recently, which uh, uh, a message that appears in the New York Times TV section. And I don't know whether you can see it. It's a the image of a person sort of shielded by an, a New York Times that covers him. And the, the legend says, give the gift that covers everything. So the paper, which is, is what it tends to do, tries to cover us, protect us from the news, rather than, than offering us the, the shock of discovering what goes in the world. It exposes something, but its mode is generally, okay, okay, this horrors occur, but there's a a refuge in the news themselves. It's inevitable that the media would mediate the world for us, whether, unfortunately, the two options chosen are antagonism towards the world or indifference towards the world. And the result is that we tend that somebody was sharing yesterday, in fact, in the inquiry. We tend to clamp down our heart to what goes on in the world. It's difficult to allow ourselves to sort of shed that newspaper cover and really look into the eyes of the children or Darfur, or the inmates at Abu Ghraib, or the wounded U.S. soldiers in Iraq, or the dead U.S. soldiers in Iraq, which have not been very much in the news, I must say, or the dead Iraqis, or the Palestinian and Israeli 
widows. Can we open ourselves up to being touched by all this agony in the world caused by complicated set of factors, but certainly one in which our own country is not uh, absent. Touched by the suffering, but also being touched by the joy that we can also see. Even, even the pictures of little kids in Iraq running around and smiling, having the moments of joy as well, of course. Can we open up to the feeling, the suffering of the world, without making a distinction between friend and foe? Without, you know, just counting the casualties only of those which we consider our enemies. Sorry, the other way around we do. Counting the casualties on our side and ignoring those of our enemies. So, in a way, we need the help of, of the news as well. The news that are going to communicate the reality of things. Because short of, as the Buddha says, traveling to the end of the world, the world, the way I can connect is watching the news, for instance. I do regularly do that, and I have some sources that I cannot uh, help but publicizing. <laughs> Little propaganda, forgive me. Uh, I am what I regularly watch besides the BBC is Amy Goodman. The program is called Democracy Now. It's available on this um, network. Um, the channel is number 9415, or alternative 9410, or on Direct TV, channel 375. She has a, a program, of course, it's also available through the internet. Interestingly enough, in, in our TV program, just two slots below Amy Goodman, there is um, a channel of the Pentagon, and uh, I do certainly compare the news I get from Amy and the news I get from the Pentagon, and, and there's a lot of learning there. And so, being with those images, being touched by them, and when the screen goes dark, letting that experience reverberate in us. Not in a masochistic way, you know, making ourselves suffer and engaging the eye 
again in a whole campaign against or for the side or the other, because that's the way this eye always goes, but actually being touched by the reality of what we experience and creating a space for that. In doing that, letting our hearts disarm, entering into a path of internal disarmament, so that we can receive the news in solidarity with all. Surely some activities are wholesome, others are not, but actually the first step is to receive the news. Then we may decide to engage in activities or not, become activists or not, for one side or for another, of course. Let me just share with you one story that I learned from Amy Goodman about um, a soldier, a US soldier called Camilo Mejia, who she interviewed, which is very relevant to the saying of the Buddha about going to the end of the world. Camilo Mejia is the first soldier to be court-martialed for refusing to fight in the war. But initially, he actually did go to Iraq. And he says that when he was in Iraq, he did what everybody else did, and without thinking. There was no room for thought there. He had to defend himself, defend his comrades, attack, and, and do things that he then regretted having done. But anyway, uh, there's, uh, there isn't much of a choice, is there? And, were, and he was fine. He was with the war at the time. In fact, he, he actually enlisted. It's only when he came back. It's only when he came back from the end of the world and he came back to his, his fathom-long body and mind. And he reflected, and he saw that he couldn't do it, he couldn't do it again, no matter what the consequences. And so he refused to go back to the front. He was court-martialed, he spent nearly a year in jail, and then he's out now. He wants to share what he learned. He said, it haunts you. So, I've talked about two areas now. Talked about the environment. Talked about the our relationship with the humanity at large. Let me go back. Uh, 
closer to home now. How we relate to our own circle of friends and family. There again, there is an option of relating by way of the I or by way of the inner. What happens when we relate by the way of the I? Which is what we, often enough, choose to do. When we do that, we really close down. The I is not an, an open creature. It's always looking after its own interests. And so, it ends up withholding intimacy from others that are around. What it offers instead, as well as it can, is a facade, a presentation, an image selected to be as helpful as it can. In extreme cases, uh, this image involves an outright lies. But just the misrepresentation of who we are, that in itself is also an untruth. And so, our, our life within the closed circle becomes an experience of alienation. And when we are in that, it may not be easy to shift things. To begin with, I have to consider the other person, the other person too, be it a, a partner, a relative, or a friend. With the other, we have a certain arrangement that has worked with the other person. And the other person may not be ready to shift from the tacit arrangement that we have with her, with them, with him, her, and that somehow has held us together. This is true, but also our actions are, are locked in a vicious circle. So, we feed the arrangement, the other person feeds the arrangement, and there seems to be no way of breaking it. Basically, what makes these arrangements so inflexible, so person-like, it's I, the egos, that are involved. The way to break from this vicious circle is coming in touch with the richness of who we are. Just letting go of the ego for a moment, even if we are so habituated to that. And coming back, as the Buddha would say, to this fathom long body mind and listening into it. Of course, when we come to this fathom long body, fathom long body, we, we also come across a charades of the eye, surely. But, but 
but we don't have to believe in them. They're just uh, some more stuff being stirred up. And so, coming inside, we come to understand the true nature of our options. And the options are could be put in these terms. Do we want to run away from the truth of things? Or do we stay with what is and trust the unencumbered purity of our minds and our heart? Both our own and that of those close to us. Another way of putting it. Do we constantly prepare for battle within the domestic scene? Or do we embark in internal disarmament? Oh, surely, of course, we can have, we will have our battles. But the whole thing, is this going to be the, the mode of our life? Or can we drop it at times, you know? And what are the tools that we have to embark in this internal disarmament? The basic tool, which again can be described, can, can we create space for you to laugh real loud? <laughs> let's join, let's all join. <laughs> <laughs> you see, there's room for everything. I can feel now great warmth in this part of my body somehow. A wave of warmth in this part of my body. Because we've accommodated something that was happening. Ah, sure. There's room in here. There's room for laughter. There's room for pain. There's room for all kinds of things. There's even room for watching the eye doing its funny stuff, but not buying into it. This is a space that is available for us, and we can invite others to come to it. This is exactly what this retreat is about. Inviting others to just connect, get a whiff at least, of that extraordinary space in which we all intercommunicate in subtle, strange, mysterious ways. Healing then becomes possible. The personality quirks, the difference of course, differences of course will still be there, if not as Raquel seems enough. <laughs> But they are not central, they are not pivotal to what goes on. I hope. <laughs> they do not matter. In closing, before I belabor this topic too much, let me just uh, shift a little bit and share with you a reading 
And it's actually about nature, but it has so much to do with all that I've been talking about. It's um, from a, a magazine that I received called Resurgence, just the last issue, I think it was. And um, this guy, Ian is his name, he shares some experience, simple experience of life. I was walking under a starlit sky with moonlight bathing a patchwork of fields in shades of black and white. I stood there motionless, listening intently and thinking of nothing, just letting the stillness of the night well around me. After about ten minutes, it took a little while, after about ten minutes, my blunt intrusion began to melt into the surroundings. After another ten minutes, sure enough, things began to move. First, scampering of tiny feet cut a dash in front of me. I see. Gabby and Maya exchanging looks. They're, they're not very fond of bugs. So, sorry if there's a story about bugs. My apologies. <laughs> so, sure enough, things began to move. First a scampering of tiny feet cut a dash in front of me. Then more came. Smaller and faster this time. Desperately ducking and diving through the tall green stalks, almost shouting, Wait for me! A hedgehog shuffled by. I caught the light-footed shadow of a young fox picking its way across the a meadow towards a copse, where, on the verge of the darkness, the flick of a tail betrayed the long legs of a deer. Before my eyes, the quiet night became a teeming world, and I immersed myself in the subtle cacophony it made. See. It's not that different from going inside and beginning to get in touch with the teeming of our inner world. Then, it was then, I heard something I was not expecting, something that blew my mind. It was precipitated by the ghostly white shadow of a barn owl, which swept across a field, making no sound at all. Immediately, it silenced everything. I, too, held my breath as the hairs on my back of, my of the back of my neck bristled. I stood, wide-eyed, on total alert aware of everything. I felt completely plugged into the universe, but it still came as a shock when I suddenly sensed another layer. It was as if this entire orchestra of activity around me, the scrabbling of creatures, the creak and bend of branches, and the swish and sway of the corn, had all lifted at one and separated from the sound that lay beneath, 
what I can only describe as a bedrock of absolute silence. Not a deadness, not an absence of sound, but a solid silence projecting a benign presence that inundated my senses completely. It rang in my ears, it still does in my memory. But it was gone as quickly as it came, extinguished by the sudden fist of my thoughts. It was a rare moment of spiritual connection by meditation under another name. And it took me back to my early primary school days when I would do anything to scat the bedline of the classroom to find the same depth of silence. My best ruse was to offer to fetch more pens and papers when stock got low. Which meant a visit to the stationery store. This was a large room, high up in the roof and far away from my noisy classroom. With the door closed, it was absolutely silent. And I would sit there for as long as I dared, just letting the same overwhelming sense of peace flood into me. I had yet to learn the word meditation. But I had certainly discovered its benefits. I was calmer when I plunged back into the frazzle of the classroom, much more aware of the interconnectivity of all that happened around me. I could listen more keenly, and amid the grab and thrust, I felt more inclined to give than to take. Possessions matter less. The joy of living more. To me this fragment makes alive all these things I was trying to say with long, heavy words. Those creatures of the country that he refers to, those kids in the classroom that he refers to, they are like uh, the stuff that teams up inside of us. And we need to become receptive to them. But to become receptive to them, to listen to them, as this guy, this writer says when he goes and hides into the storeroom of the school, we have to find a place of silence, of quietude. Then we can open to the laughter. Then we can open to the joy. Then we can open to the interconnectedness. Just as Camilo Mejia, he was fighting in Iraq and he couldn't really know what he was doing. He had to come back to the silence of his heart. And then he realized what he was doing there. So, to understand that we have to create a space of receptivity where we can finally hear what goes on inside and outside with our dear friend and family and with others. 
And then underneath all the, those messages, we need to find a footing in that fundamental space of silence, the one that can become our common refuge, our meeting ground. So let's uh, sit for a couple of minutes in silence, please. 